welcome to Inspiration from the Couch. I'm Avery. I'm Jamie. And I'm Lucy. We are psychologists and moms. Join us as we discuss what we've figured out, what we've yet to figure out, and what there's just no figuring out. It's sure to be fun, and you may be inspired along the way. Welcome. So glad for everyone to be joining us today. The title of today's episode is Don't Be an Asshole. We love the idea of you not being an asshole to other people, but really what we're going to be focused on today is you not being an asshole to yourself. So let's start. Avery and Jamie, tell me a little bit about the ways that you notice people being assholes to themselves or even the ways you're assholes to yourself. Yeah. I think one thing I hear a lot at work and I try to internalize it here in my own life is that idea of, you know, you would not talk to anybody else the way that you're talking to yourself. And so especially people that you love and care about. And, you know, we are tasked with loving and caring for ourselves. And that kind of idea that, you know, turning something inward that you would almost never turn outward, it really resonates with me. Like that that idea of of the way that you're treating yourself being different than the way you treat other people. So like, what do y'all hear people say to themselves that they would never say to anyone else? I feel like it's like, Baskin Robbins, thirty three flavors. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, There's what ways can you thirty one flavors? Thirty one. I, I don't know. It's a lot. It's, it is. Uh-huh. It's thirty something. Thirty something. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's more like, well, how many ways do they not talk mm-hmm. about themselves in a really negative way? I mean, it's. I don't know. I think being in private practice, just being a human in general. I mean, you just hear everything. I mean, Mm -hmm. I can speak to my own personal experience with just being very negative sometimes and harsh and critical and self-aggressive with myself. Lately, I feel like my memory (laughs) has been slipping. Like I'm not as sharp as I used to. I mean, I used to be able to read stuff in grad school and say, oh, you don't remember it's on this page, like up here in the left-hand corner and here's this term and all of this kind of stuff. And then now it's like, holy crap, what's wrong with me? Like, I will read something and read a half a book. And then I'm like, I don't even know what I just read sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, if I'm not really integrating it and engaged in it, or I don't have enough time to process it, it really doesn't stick with me. And that has really been bothering me Mm -hmm. lately. You're not alone. Yeah. I feel exactly the same (laughs) Same. I'm I'm like, same, girl. (laughs) Same. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think just for me personally, I can get very negative with myself. And I, and I see that so much with my clients too. whatever aspect of themselves that they're struggling with, they'll get really negative and harsh Mm. with themselves. And it's interesting because sometimes I think it's very overt and loud, but I think more often, and this, this may have the potential to be, I was going to say more damaging, but maybe just as damaging is kind of this constant chatter that happens all day long. That's even on a more unconscious level. So maybe we're not even aware that this is how we're talking to ourselves or what we're saying, but it has a really big impact on how we feel and how we show up. It's exhausting Mm -hmm. for me when I get tired, stressed, overwhelmed, it gets louder, Mm -hmm. kind of is constantly there. I mean, to the point one time I even just, I pulled over and I looked myself in the mirror, like in my little, like pull down, like vanity mirror. And I was like, you're going to shut the fuck up enough out of you. I don't want to hear any more out of you. Like this negative ongoing, yeah. just chatter. Yeah, it, it is. It gets loud and exhausting. Let's see. What do you tend to notice? And Avery, you kind of talked about this about how people talk to themselves versus how they talk to other people. Mm. 
I love asking this question when people are saying, I mean, whatever litany of things it might be, whether it's their performance, their size, their shape, their attractiveness, how they're showing up in relationships, dealer's choice, really what they're going to be critical about. We can be critical about so many things, but to just kind of ask one of my favorite questions is if your friend was saying this kind of thing to you about themselves, what would you say? And would you ever, if you noticed that your friend wasn't performing in, in this task, the way that you knew that they could and maybe knew that they should, how would you respond? to the friend or even just a stranger versus how you're responding to yourself. Yeah. It's interesting. At least when I ask that question, it's a clear, quick answer of like what they would say to their friend or what they would say to the stranger, what they wouldn't say. Like it is quick. The sense of like, I would never say that. It's so automatic. Here's what I would say. Um, But how hard it is. That's right. To say those things to ourselves. Have you ever had a client say, yes, I would say that to a stranger or a friend? Have you ever had that? No, I'm I just don't curious. think I have. Yeah. Have y'all? I think sometimes with clients that are really rigidly in this kind of judgmental stance, I think sometimes they would say, well, I wouldn't say it, but I'd be thinking it. Yeah. But still there's that idea of like the filter. You wouldn't say it because of the fallout, but you're still able to say it to yourself. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm just thinking about like social media and yeah. things like that. Like. Robert is in Twitter jail for 12 hours for a comment that he made on a story. And he told me about that this morning. What did he say? I'm not going to repeat what he said um, (laughs) (laughs) on this. And I get where he was coming from, you know, with it, because he was angry and upset about this man that was his DNA matched. He's really elderly, like 80 something, but he apparently like tortured and raped and murdered this girl like back in the 70s or something like that and so robert made a pretty harsh comment you know towards about that story like towards that man and he got banned from twitter for 12 hours for his comment um so you know and i I get where he's from but i'm just kind of curious about that like people you know saying Mm -hmm. things on social media that if you were in the presence of someone Mm -hmm. i don't know maybe if you would say that or not that's a great point and so almost that impulsive sort of reactive yeah and and that's how we talk to ourselves yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. that more impulsive reactive in the moment heat not really thinking through the consequences Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right and i get like where Robert's comment was coming from and underlying that and thinking about we have a 13 year old daughter and how scary that would be if something ever happened to her and how people automatically, you know, when you're attached to someone, something you can get really protective Mm -hmm. of it. So I get that, like where that aggression, you know, can come from verbally. But yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to self-talk, I mean, nobody is going to ban us, (laughs) you know, put us in Twitter jail for 12 hours for talking about ourselves. And so it's, it's, up to us to monitor that and to to keep track of that. Like you were saying, Lucy, I mean, so much of it is unconscious. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So Avery, too, you raised the issue of judgments about self and others, mm-hmm. right? And what I tend to find is that people who are judgmental of others, it really tends to start with themselves. Those are the people who tend to be really, really hard on themselves. And it kind of like spills outward, right? And so often therapeutically, at least how I'll work on it is kind of this sense of how do we start to be kind to ourselves and compassionate with ourselves, right? And not be an asshole to ourselves. And then it often spills over. Yeah. It's really a mindset shift, right? Mm. This this idea of compassion. And some people can be really resistant to that. I mean, that the internal critic or the internal like negative self-talk can be so 
deeply seated that even the idea of being able to tolerate or accept or offer compassion around what's, you know, perceived weaknesses or failures is so foreign and so difficult for people. That can be really, really hard. I think a lot of what drives the criticism is often this belief that we need to be maybe perfect. And we'll, we'll talk about perfectionism next week, actually. But this belief that we have to like be a certain way, right? And achieve a certain way. And it's really interesting because I work with a lot of eating disorders. So often these are like high achieving people. And so it comes up in two ways. Like I need to achieve a lot. Like I need to get really good grades or have a really good job or be super successful. And then with the body, I need to look a certain way. I need to be a certain size. I need to dress a certain way with both of those. And so sometimes, and this is such a powerful conversation I'll have with clients around, okay, think of like the five, your five favorite people in the world, right? And bring them to mind. And now tell me the reasons why you like them and why they're your favorite people. You know, it's so telling because never in, you know, 15 years of asking that question have I gotten the answers. I like them because they make good grades or because they have a really fancy job or I like them because they're thin or I like them because they only eat good foods, right? Like never do I hear that. But these are the things that we imagine other people would like about us and that we need to do to kind of be accepted. But those are not at all what we're looking for in other people. Hmm. So kind of calling into the light that idea of the way that you treat yourself and the way that you value yourself and and that break between that and how you value other people in the world. Yeah, I love that. So really, you know, as we're alluding to, like when we talk about not being an asshole to ourselves, it's really about our Mm self-talk, right? And there's so many different ways we could talk to ourselves. And sometimes I like to think of them as like inner voices, right? So either in your own lives, what are some of the big inner voices that come up that maybe you get stuck in or that aren't so helpful to you or that you see with your clients? So Lucy, you shared this awesome document that I think we're going to link in the show notes. And I was actually thinking, have you guys seen this commercial? I don't know what it's for. I think it's like a realtor or something like that. But this woman comes in and there's this big conference table and it's all different versions of herself. Like there's a negative person and the spontaneous. Have you seen this commercial? It's awesome. It's so it's so great. So she comes in and she's like, "Okay, me like what? You know, she's like negative me. What do you have to say? Perfectionistic (laughs) me. What do you have to say? Spontaneous me. And they're like, let's go for it. And it's so I I love this idea because I think it's such a good way to think about those like internal voices in this document we're talking about this, that critic, I think is just such a central voice that a lot of people, certainly patients, myself, people that I talk to, that that voice gets a lot of airtime, right? That it's kind of talking about like, what's wrong with you, what you need to work on. And I think it comes from almost a place of like, betterment. Like, and so it's so hard to break up with that, with the critic, because it's like, I'm helping you. I'm here pointing these things out so that you can be better. Exactly. And that's like people's biggest fear that if I stop yelling at myself and berating myself, I will like fall off the cliff and all of a sudden like become lazy and unproductive and not care about anything. So it's this belief that we really have to have the whip. We talk about like getting the whip out to like keep ourselves in line. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And and I think that's where it gets so hard for people to let go is that they, they one, they believe that it's true. Whatever the critic is saying, they believe it's true. Well, it's true that I am not doing blah, 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 or need to do blah, blah, blah. So this idea of like, one, it's true. And two, it's helpful. Those are really hard things to kind of confront. You know, if this is true and helpful, like, why wouldn't I listen to it? Mm-hmm. So we've got the critic as one of them. What about the excuse maker? Anyone have an excuse maker? Excuse maker often comes up as a way to help us deal with the critic. 
That's right. Right. So kind of making these. Because we can't be perfect all the time. We need need to kind of have. And I I think almost the excuse maker feels like a place that we could get a little more budging on the compassion because I think the critic is just, it's so keeping on the straight and narrow. I'm here to help you. I'm here to have the guardrails up if you, but I think this excuse maker to me, that feels like a nice little opening of like, okay, but there's not, there's no way you're going to always follow what the critic says all the time. And so yeah. when that happens, how do we open up some space? Yeah. For compassion? Yeah. Yeah. And I think with the excuse maker, really, like you were saying, Lucy and Avery, it's really a defensive kind of stance, but it's not necessarily taking in your whole experience and looking at, so what's going to really serve me long term? Mm. Like when you're making excuses or putting off things or procrastinating or maybe engaging in behaviors that you don't want to engage in, the excuse maker a lot of times is sort of the driving force behind that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So almost like these are kind of like the all or the nothing, right? Yeah. And how do we kind of do more of like the mindful, intentional somewhere in between versus right. like, I'm going to be perfect all of the time, says the critic. And then, nope, I can't do that. So I, it's all over. I've blown it. I think that's a good thing that the excuse maker often says. It's like, well, it's all over now. You might as well because. And so then it kind of is like two ends of the spectrum where maybe we could find some like happy medium in between. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really funny, like as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about the book that we're going to review that is we're going to talk about in a few weeks. And you can hear these voices in the clients that Lori Gottlieb talks about in there. And I'm thinking about the excuse maker with one of the characters, Charlotte, and how she is constantly coming up with excuses of why she's getting into these relationships or kind of sleeping around or drinking or things Mm -hmm. like that. It's very interesting to see her her dialogue in that and all of the different excuses that she makes yeah. and it doesn't serve her long term. Right. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the excuse maker is good friends with with the victim, right? Yes. Another one of these voices. <laughs> and and this idea that it's like someone else's fault, like the world is happening to me, yes. right? And I'm just this helpless kind of passive force. And I think for me, and I know bad things can happen to us. And I know sometimes things happen and there are excuses or things sure. that get in the way. But I think with both of those voices. Really, the trouble with them is that they take away our power. There's this kind of opposite side of things where if I can be empowered to kind of make changes in my life and show up or do something different, that just feels so much better. That's probably one of the voices that I don't really have too much internally. The victim? Yeah, the victim. Mm -hmm. But it's one of the ones that probably frustrates me the most when I hear that with other people, because it, it just really, like you were saying, puts them in this powerless place. And, you know, a lot of times, not well, not a lot, but sometimes with clients, when I hear this particular voice, we can get into this unfortunate pattern of me trying to like offer suggestions or clue them into certain things. And then I hear kind of the, well, no, I can't. Yes, but, you know, and then that comes out this like total powerlessness that they have to change their behavior behaviors. Exactly. And yeah. Yeah. And it's often accompanied by like an unwillingness right, to do right. something different. And I don't think people are trying to be difficult quite often. They, right. they are just so stuck yes. and like not ready mm-hmm. to change. One response I've had to the victim voice that really has helped me and I think has helped some of my patients too, is this idea of like, that may be a reason, but it's not an excuse. Like there may be a reason that you are not you know, meeting these expectations, but it doesn't actually mean that the expectations no longer exist. So I think about especially people that carry a diagnosis. A lot of times patients will say, well, that's my anxiety or that's my depression or that's 
my ADHD. And I'm like, that may be a reason that you're having such a hard time getting to work on time, but you can't actually come in with a piece of paper that says, oh, sorry, my ADHD kept me from getting to work on time. And all of a sudden, like the start of work time doesn't apply to you anymore. It's a reason that makes it harder. Absolutely. Does not excuse it. And so that kind of trying to make peace with like, there are things that are going on that I'm going to have to kind of figure out, work around, take responsibility for. There are reasons that my life may be more difficult, but it's actually not going to excuse me or get me out of something. Exactly. And that's a conversation over the years I've had often with teenagers. Yes, I'm like, yes, you may have an eating disorder or anxiety, mm-hmm. depression, but in none of those is one of the symptoms being an asshole. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can have all these struggles, but it doesn't give you license to like be a total jerk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So sometimes um, yeah, I'll use a similar example. I'm like, okay, so when you're racing to work because you didn't wake up on time because of the ADHD, how do you think that conversation is going to go with the policeman that's pulled you over for speeding? Is there, oh, I'm sorry, my ADHD couldn't get up on time. So I had to speed you. Of course you understand. Never heard of that getting you out of a ticket. Yeah. And so kind of this idea that there's still these rules or these like expectations that are kind of firm and that you're not really going to be able to like work your way around with excuses. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we do need an accommodation or we need to structure our Absolutely. life differently. Sure. Maybe I need a job that starts at 11 instead of eight. Totally. Right? Totally. Right. Totally. Or maybe I need to work from home. Or, totally. Yeah, maybe totally. I need to be self-employed. I mean, like, there's exactly. a, right. lots of different ways that we can go. One of the domains where I also hear the victim voices in parenting, like with my own children, yeah. <laughs> they get yeah. in this place of powerlessness and helplessness mm-hmm. and just kind of that unwillingness sort of piece. It's like, oh, nails on a chalkboard. Well, I was just thinking actually <laughs> about these voices and we'll go through the rest of them in a second. But I was thinking like, how many of those are developmentally normal for adolescents? Right. right. Yeah. Do we see like a flare in some of this? Not because there's like a problem, but this is just part of growing up. Is mm-hmm. Some of these voices get a little more active at like different times in our life because I hear a lot of that at my house (laughs) as well. For sure. And even I think external situations, I mean, I'm thinking like right now going back to school and there's still some kind of like remnants of the pandemic, like math, like there's some other things that are going on that are absolutely reasons that things are even more stressful, difficult, you know, for people. But at this point, it's like, we can't let that excuse. Like we have to still follow through with developmental stages, work, you know, the responsibilities. Yeah. yeah. Life goes on. Life goes on. Right. And how do we respond to what's so? That's right. Um, right. Out getting pulled off center. That's right. That's right. So another inner voice, right? The warrior. Do either of you have a warrior? No, never. <laughs> nope. That's not me at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, actually, it's funny because the another voice is the caretaker, and I think my warrior and caretaker are like really best friends because uh-huh. I think my warrior. Those are, I think, really loud voices for me. But I think that I I worry so much and I kind of like sometimes believe that that's my way of also caretaking. So kind of worrying about other people. Um, one thing I'll say in my house a lot is if anybody would worry a little bit, I could worry less, but I'm doing all the worrying for all of us. So nobody else has to. It can kind of get me in a little bit of a downward spiral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but almost worrying as a way to caretake. You got it. Yeah, right, I'm yeah. going to make sure nothing happens. I'm going to worry about everything for you, Wesley. I'm going to worry about everything for you, John. So you don't have to worry about anything. I can worry about all the things. And a little bit of that magical thinking. Yeah, if I it. worry enough, like it'll prevent something. If I think right. it all the way through, then um, nothing bad will ever happen to yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I hear that a lot in my practice, like with people that struggle with anxiety. When I work with couples that are struggling with infertility, there's a lot of, a lot, a lot of what ifs or people with histories of trauma. I mean, anxiety is so, so prevalent in our society as we've talked about on a previous podcast with anxiety, but those what ifs will get you that what if thinking. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. 
people that do struggle with anxiety, one thing I I really like to talk to them about is using this more as like a superpower versus like something that always has to get in our way. Because I think worrying or like the ability to look ahead and think about something negative that could happen and do something now to avoid that is like being conscientious. Like that's not all bad. I think that's one thing that's hard about the worrier is you don't actually want her to completely shut up because I mean, there are things you need to worry about. Like if I don't, you know, put my seatbelt on or whatever, but it's kind of the idea of like figuring out, making that distinction between this is the helpful kind of worry that's like getting us where we need to go on time. And this is the unhelpful worry that's actually just keeping me up at night. Exactly. Yeah. And how do I, you know, offer compassion, but also kind of try to take some wind out of those sails so that they're, they're not quite so loud. Yeah. Yeah. So more of a matter of degree, right? How loud it is and how it gets in Mm -hmm. the way. And that some of that is adaptive. Yeah. And it's not really effective, compassionate caretaking to worry about everything all the time for everyone in your sphere. That actually makes you really, I, I think each one of these really takes us out of the moment and puts us more inside of our ourselves, gets us out of our kind of day-to-day life. I had this awesome patient once that talked about worry as being on a really emotional cell phone call and trying to do his life. I mean, isn't that mm-hmm. a beautiful image? I mean, I, I think that all of these kind of internal critics, being internal asshole, do that for us. They kind of get us focused on this emotional internal dialogue yep. and take us out of our lives, yep. take us out of our day-to-day. Yep. And I think that worrying and that caretaking, you know, when we're worrying about others and their abilities to do things, I think that it really robs them of their own power when we are doing that. I love that. Actually, I want you to say a little bit more about that because I think that's <laughs> that's really essential. When we're worrying about somebody taking care of something or their, you know, possible or hypothetical inability to do something or step up to the plate, it's robbing them of that opportunity. It's not Mm -hmm. really like fostering trust, I feel like, in the Mm -hmm. relationship versus taking a leap of faith and saying, they've got this, Mm -hmm. like they've got this and I can be off of the hook for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think too, like you were saying, you know, worrying and the caretaking, especially for, you know, a lot of women that are out there, we can have a tendency to do that, to take on more and more and more in the guise of trying to nurture other people or help other people meet their needs. But if we're doing that at the expense of our own, I think that that can be really problematic as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it puts us Everybody comes sort of in this powerless kind of position. Yeah. I agree. And the story I often tell myself that gets me right in that situation is if I don't do this for you now, then that's going to create more work for me later. Right. And a story I'm trying to kind of switch that to a bit is if I don't do this for you now, my goal and my job is to actually let this create more work for you later as, mm-hmm. as a parent, especially mm-hmm. that I, my job is actually to get completely out of this so that you can either do it or not, and then have the natural consequences, which will then help you to do it or not in the future. And I can get out of this. God, that's hard. Well, and it reminds me of this, this last voice to talk about the, the enforcer, which is this yeah. like taskmaster, <laughs> right? And so I think sometimes the warrior like leads to the enforcer or that they kind of have a, a nice friendship as well, right? Where mm-hmm. we want to kind of step in and we want it to be orderly and perfectionistic and it's got to be done this way and there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And we just can kind of drive ourselves and everyone nuts when we're kind of living from the place of the enforcer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think sometimes what probably happens for me is that I might worry a little bit and then I try to nurture and caretake. And then when that's not 
really going my way, then ha, the enforcer comes yeah. out and like <laughs> yeah. taskmaster comes around, yeah. you know, it's like we're going to get, <laughs> get shit done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Sometimes my enforcer can really be not only an asshole to me, but can really yes. make me be an asshole to other people. <laughs> right, right. Yes. Of like, damn it, I meant, yeah, it, it's the hammer is coming down. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. that can be a big driver for the critical mm-hmm. voice as well in terms of there's a right way to do things, wrong way, it has to be done this way, you know, here are the rules, we get real rigid, right? Which really causes this constriction, right? And like a closing off with everything. I'm laughing because in our family, we often will say it's my way or the wrong way. Uh-huh. Um, and I think about that, the critic is really like like my way or the wrong way. There's a right and wrong. Right. And um, I'm always the right one. Get on board or get on my way. Yeah. So real quick and and kind of like beginning to wrap this up a little bit for today. So if we think about the effects, just in a nutshell of of being an asshole to ourselves or using these voices, then if we think about how we start to work on not being an asshole to Mm. ourselves, what comes to mind? I think you mentioned compassion and I I think that that's the really important part of it. But I think for me, it's really a part of compassion, which is acceptance of just accepting both what's so externally, accepting what's so internally and trying to kind of replace all those expectations, those rigid kind of needs for performance or perfectionism with just acceptance of how things are now. It's important offset, I think, for me. You know, as we were talking about all these different voices, you know, I'm thinking to myself, whoo, it's so crowded up there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so crowded up there. And <laughs> loud, so, busy. Yeah, it is. And so I think one of the the things for me is that I need to take some time to slow down and just be with myself quite frequently. Hmm. So that way I can try to clear out, you know, all of those voices, because I think when I get really busy, overwhelmed, these things tend to come out more. And I see that too, with my clients when they're overbooked, overworked, just, you know, filled to the brim. For a lot of my clients, these voices are what tend to come out and, and take control. Their heads, you know, are just as crowded as their schedules. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I almost love that idea too, in terms of when you notice, start noticing a lot of this chatter, it's a good time to tune in and say like, what else is going on? Mm -hmm. Right. And then it kind of points the way to like, what do I need to do to take care of myself? Because often it might be a sign that something is out of balance or out of whack. Mm-hmm. I find even trying to be kind and offer compassion to those voices. So I'm, I told the story earlier of like pulling down the vanity mirror and saying, shut up. And that actually did not work so well for me mm. to like get the voices to be quiet. And what actually did is I kind of put my hand on my like passenger side door. I can't believe like people driving by my like, what's she doing? But I kind of put my hand over there, like in a kind, like soft way. And I was like, Hey, I know you're trying to help me. I know that you're trying to like get me to do the right thing, but I actually don't need you. I yeah. actually, this is not that helpful. And I know you're coming from a, trying to come from a good place, but I don't need that right now. Yeah. And that compassion, even with that critical voice, even with that, like, part of myself that needed to be so critical really did settle. It kind of settled me. I think that can be so powerful. Like I've had experiences where I've been meditating maybe, and I notice those voices come up and I'll just say, hello, judgment, like, welcome, mm-hmm. we'll grab a mat, like maybe in the back corner a little bit or wherever you want judgment, but we're like meditating, join us. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. There we go. But there's something to be said for not having to fix it or change it or fight with it, but almost like, how do we get a little distance from it and not have to get so like wrapped up in it? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And not ignoring it, right? Acknowledging it. Hello, judgment. Not trying to shove it away or push anything forceful, but just kind of that uh, even acceptance that it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think for me, my, my try this at home would be like, how do you have that as an explicit goal to not be an asshole to yourself? Mm. 
right? To almost just start to recognize, I'm just going to catch all the times when I'm being a jerk to myself and I'm going to catch it and just notice it and try to do something different. I think sometimes in pop culture, especially we can talk about like self-love and, you know, and sometimes that feels like too far of a leap, right? And so I think mm-hmm. I love the idea of not being an asshole. It's kind of like, we don't have to like go to the self-love. You don't have to think you're the best thing ever, but you just don't have to be a jerk to yourself, mm-hmm. right? And so it's a more kind of neutral stance that we're kind of going for. That's exactly right. And I I found in my own life and also with patients that sometimes even having just a little mantra when you're starting out, that when you kind of notice that like, oh, darn it, I'm doing that you can kind of just have something that settles like, oh, you know, I'm just enough or Mm -hmm. something that's just very but personal to you of like, oh, I'm going to accept myself just as I am. That can kind of give you that little space can be helpful. Awesome. Anything else today, ladies? I don't think so. So next week, we are going to talk about perfectionism and keep this critical voice discussion going. So that'll do it for today. Thanks so much. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Subscribe to Inspiration from the Couch wherever you access your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. Visit us on our website at inspirationfromthecouch.com. Thank you.